Black Murder. We are up to the noon base, uh, noon base of Malavasai's blood, which is the blood from Shabbos. And right now we're in the noon aleph on the base, the very bottom of the page. So basically, we're talking about the obligations of a husband to a wife, even if he didn't uh, write, write in the Ksuda, nevertheless, it's a, it's a din from Besden, so it doesn't really matter. And then it says you have to also ransom your um, you ransom to your wife or if she's taken captive. And it says that you say in the what they would write in the Ksuba is that if you get kidnapped, I will I'll release you, I'll, I'll ransom you, and I'll take you back as my wife. But if you're a Koyan, you can't say I'll take you back as my wife because if she was, even if she was coerced, a Koyan cannot live with her. So he would write there, I'll take you back and send you back to. Uh, to the Jewish people. Okay, that's what you write in the staff. So we're up to the Gemara over here. An interesting argument. If somebody lives with somebody in sin, then and what obligation does the, has this husband have to his wife? So basically, all those obligations, which is upon parting company, like the $200 or anything else you, you said you'll give her when she leaves, then you still have to pay those out. But any obligation which, can, which maintains your life and make your, your, her life easier and more secure, that you don't pay because we don't want her life to be easy and secure. We want them to part company. So the question is, what about, what about let's say, taking, uh, uh, paying for um, the, her captors, her ransom? So I'm gonna buy it. Abaya says, it depends, Abaya to say a very interesting thing. It depends if, um, if you're a Koyan or if you're Israel. If somebody's living in sin and they're a coin, he cannot take her back even after he, he frees her. But if, by a coin, you don't write that, so we all take you back. By coin, you say, and I'm going to free you so you can go back to the peace, to your people. So then he has to still free her. But Yisrael said, I'll take you back as my wife. And since you cannot take her back as a wife, not because she was taken captive, but because of the other problem, let's say she's a mamzeris, then you don't have to pay. That's what Abayi says. Abayi takes the, the, the writing of the Ksuda literally. Says him what I want to buy. says, Almona take, for example, Almona to a coin god. Coin god is not permitted to live with a widow. And he married her. And then she was taken captive. So, so does he pay a ransom? And the answer will be yes, because he doesn't say, I'll take you back as my wife. He has to redeem her. Shani Koyedaba, because you can read there what it says in the Ksuda, over the Kehenis, it says there by Kehenis, I will send you back to your people. However, are you strong? If he lets his living with someone in sin, for example, she's a mamzeris, and in the Ksuba, you're right, and I'll take you, I'll, I'll free you, and I'll take you back as my wife, since he cannot take her back as his wife for different reasons because she's a mamzeris, and he doesn't want to pay for her, her captivity. Is mamzeris or nesinat, you saw it's forbidden. Ain't the chayl of God, she doesn't redeem her, she ain't any kind because you cannot take the Ksuba literally where it says, I will return to you as my wife. That's what about you, because I think between a coin and an ordinary person. Rubber is going to disagree. He's going to say that if there is another, the only prohibition that prevents, that that's going to cause us any issues at all, is the fact you're taken captive. And therefore, Yisrael takes her back as a wife and a coin takes sets of free to the people. But if there are other issues as well, then you don't have to redeem her at all. So says the Rubber. If the only issue that we are concerned about is the fact that we're taking captive, then then you have to redeem her, regardless of coin marriage or coin Israel. But any other problems there whatsoever, then he doesn't have to take a redeemer at all. So the Imara Lema would seem that this argument you know, by your and regarding um, 
a Yisrael, let's say, who's living in Mamzeris, whether he has to free his wife or not, it would seem to be a machleke tanayim. Which tanayim? We learned the following. Hamad, it is ishta, if somebody makes an edit to his wife, I don't want, we should have any more intimate relations between us. The din is then that you have to divorce her because you can't live together anymore. But before they had a chance to divorce her, she was taken captive. Does he have to set her free or not? Rabbi says, he sets her free even though he looks divorce her. He must set her free. Even though you're going to, as soon as you set her free, you're going to divorce her anyway. It doesn't matter. You still want, uh, you have to give her a ksuva. So we see clearly from here that even though you cannot take her back as a, as a wife, you have yeah, if you take it back as a wife, you know, you're not you can eventually divorce her, you have to set her free. And Abishu says, No, you send looks of us, you give her silver, but ain't a point. You give her a silver, say, Take care of yourself, I'm paying you out, I don't have to redeem you at all. Now, what's going on here? Omnam Nasr, we'll see in a minute. Shalosan said the Braxa continued. Ronan said, Shalti is Sumchas, I asked Sumchas. What do you think? Because Rabbi Shua says that you give it back Raksuva and you don't have to redeem her at all. So the Rabbi Leza says you have to redeem her, even though you got, as soon as you redeem her, you're going to divorce her. And Rabbi Shua says you don't have to redeem her at all, just give her Raksuva. So let me ask you a question. What do you think Rabbi Shua is saying here? When Rabbi Shua said that you don't have to redeem her, just give her Raksuva. Tisham Rabbi Shua, no Yisrael Tsevasa, and Be'inu Pai, you don't have to redeem her. Is it is that talking about a case where Kishahidida will be saved Nishbis even in the case? Is, is that talking about a case only when he made the, the, the vow first? In other words, he already had no, nothing to do with her, and then she's taken captive. So Bishu says you don't have to redeem her, you just give her ksuva, you pay her out. Oh, even Benishbis of Saifadila. What about the case where she was taken captive first and, and they want a lot of money? So you want to get out of it, way out of it. So you don't want to pay. So you say, What here, take your ksuva, take set yourself free. Which case are you talking about? Well, he told me the Shemaiti. I didn't hear really hear. He didn't delineate that far. But when he didn't want him, it seems to me logically, he says the Sumchas Shedira and that uh, and Sumchas was a Talmud of Meir, who was a Talmud of Rabbi Kiva, who was a Talmud of Rishon of Lezim, and that and nothing was passed down to us. But it seemed to me Shehidida Ulubusayv Nishbase. It seems that's only talking about a case where first he made the nether, so already they knew that they were not going to be together, and then she was taken captive. That's why he doesn't have to redeem it. Because he I mean, if you can tell me the other way around, and Nishbis of Sevidida, let's say that they were taken captive and then he made a vow not to have anything to do with her. Osila Rumin, that every person is going to do that. If they're going to see that the money that he has to use to set her free is, is quite a, 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 a exorbitant amount. He's just going to say goodbye and, and make an edit. And because he made an edit, we count it together. So I don't have to take care of you. He's taking sure. Now, my lab, what's going on here? What's the argument between Rabbi Shur and Rabbi Leza? Why does one of them say that you, why does Rabbi Leza say that you don't, that you're a redeemer and you pay around? I'm sure they don't have to redeem her. My love, we're talking about a case. Uh, it seems that we're talking about a case of the wife of a coin. What do you mean? But wife of a coin, so therefore, because by Yisrael, you cannot take her back. Even if, if, since you made a net and you're together, you cannot take her back as a wife. So according to everybody, why should you have to redeem her? Part of the, in the tzuvah, it says, I'm redeeming you, I'm taking you back. But you're not taking her back because you made a net already, you can't. So therefore, L'chayu would see that everybody would agree in that case that you, that you don't have to redeem her. When do they argue in the case of the wife of a coin? And, and, and that's the argument. Abaya says, since the tzuvah you wrote, um, that again, I'm taking it back to people, therefore it's good. I, um, I'm, I'm going to set her free, take it back to people. Two, we can be together, but I'm, I'm setting you free, and you have to pay her out. That's like Rabbi Lezer. And uh, and Rabbi says, like I'm sure, with any other problems apart from the fact that you're taken captive, you don't have to redeem her. And here too, there's another problem with an editor, and therefore you don't have to take a captive. And Rabbi says, like I'm sure, and therefore he says, well, they don't have to pay, you don't have to pay her answer. So the mother, I don't think any of the two arguments are related at all. 
Pachamayskin, and here we're talking about a different case altogether, very interesting. Shenodra Ihi, that we're talking about a case here where she, not that he made a vow to have nothing to do with her, she made the vow. And Vikayimla, she made a vow, I don't have anything to do with you. And the, the, the din is that the husband, as soon as he hears it, he has 24 hours or yeah, till the next day to go ahead and either annul it or to, um, by being quiet, means he's, he's substantiating it, otherwise, to annul it. Vikayimla, and he didn't annul it. He's, in other words, he substantiated it. And the question then is so, but she made the nether, she initiated it, but he let it go. And I guess by that letting go, he substantiated it. So who, who is the culprit? Who do, I guess when we consider it, who do we say actually made this happen? He or her? He by saying the words, but it doesn't take effect until he agrees with it. And he just agreed with it. So who actually made it happen? Who said as if, who made the nether here? Is that Lezer holds, who knows an excavation there? By him supporting it, it's as if he put a finger between the teeth. In other words, it's as if he's the one who brought the Issa down on himself. And because he's the one who brought it down on himself, <coughs> um, he has to, um, to bring her, pay her ransom. But Rabbi Shua says, he knows that situation. Even though he substantiated, since he's the one initiated, it's as if she did it. And she did it. She brought it upon herself. She's the one who said, I have nothing to do with you. So therefore, he doesn't have to pay the ransom at all. Says they want to have a problem with that husband. Could two things. First of all, e he not If the whole Lord Rabbi Shua, you don't have to redeem it because she decided not to have anything to do with him. Then why pay Ksuba? Ksuba might she walked out on him. You don't have to pay Ksuba. You pay that if you know if, if uh, she if he predeceased her or if he, if he divorced her. But if she walks out on him, you don't have to pay Ksuba at all. So why pay Ksuba? Why does she would say you have to pay Ksuba? Number one, number two, Vasu. Amram Nasan. He asked him the question and he asked, What about if he made a net that after she was taken kept in captivity? I asked Rabbi Shua, I asked Absunchus, but Rabbi Shua said, Give her the ksuba and don't redeem her. What about if after she was taken captive, the net that was made? And he said, No, I don't want that to happen because then he'll use it as a ruse and get out of it. But it works his way out. But if she's the one who initiated the net, then what kind of ruse is this? She's the one who said, I don't want to do with you. If she made the What's the difference? Well, you're saying the whole thing is a harama, that is some kind of a scheme, some kind of a ruse to get out of it. But in fact, if she's the one who initiated while she's taken in captivity, then what does it have to do with him? So what's the question? Therefore, we don't think it has anything to do with that. And I'll tell you how it works. The other eel, he made the nether. And each one is going to explain how both Tanaim can fit in with them. A bayer, a bayer who makes a difference between a Koyan and, and a Yisrael, a Koyan who says, I'll take a free you and set you back to the people, where we're much more, um, he has to pay, even if he cannot take her back for other reasons. And by Yisrael, if you cannot take her back for other reasons, you don't have to pay out. And Rav says, if there's any other Yisrael involved, I don't care, Koyan Yisrael, you don't have to pay a redeemer. So I'm more explains. This is how it works. The widow to coin Godel, everyone agrees that you have to pay her out. I, you cannot take her back. So what? By coin, you don't say, I'll take you back. You say, I'm, I'm setting you free. He has to redeem no question. Everybody agrees. Mam Zeres or the Sinli Yisrael, where the Yisrael cannot take back his wife for other reasons, because of Mam Zeres or the Sinli. The Kuliyam will there's no argument. The Enochail of Daisy doesn't have to set her free. Madir Aisha's Koyan. What about if he made a nether by the wife of a Koyan, which basically he cannot take her back? And we'll agree that according to Abayah, it doesn't matter because the Kohen said, I'm setting you free. I'm not saying I'm taking you back. Kuli Amalai Pligi, there's no argument that uh, the Chayi Lodosi has to set it free. 
Because the Hainu Ammon it's no different than the case of Ammon Lekoyengodl with a Koyengodl. He cannot take it back. So what? He's setting it free. Kipligi, this is the argument. Bemadid Eishis Yisrael. A Yisrael makes a nether to his wife. They don't have any more intimacy with her. And the problem is unfolding. So now he cannot take it back as a wife. So what's the argument? At the time that he wrote the Ksuva, he was able to take it back. It was only many years later that he made a nether. So the question is, do we look at it at the time of the contract? Contractually, you, pr you, you promised to take care of her. And that's what we focus on. At that time, you could have taken it back. Therefore, pay your ransom. Or do we look at it today at the time when she was taken in captivity? Can you take it back when, she, when she'll be released? Can you take it back? You can't. Then you don't have to set her free. Rabbelezer also boss record. Rabbelezer says you look at the time when you contracted out, which is the and at that time you were able to take it back. You didn't make a vow yet that you will be us with each other. Okay. So therefore you're bound by it and you have to set her free. And Abishua also boss of the service. Look at it today. Today when you take captivity, can you take it back? No, don't set her free. That's a buy it. Rav will be very similar. Rav who says that even in the case of, of Ammon and Kohen Godel, Kohen Godel is not set of free because he cannot take it back. So what's the argument over here? Rav Metadathamei, Ammon and Kohen Godel, the case of a widow to a Kohen Godel or a Mamzenis or a Kohen Godel, everyone knows he don't redeem her because there's another Aveira here besides the fact that we think captivity. There's another problem. She's a widow and a Kohen Godel. Keep pleading. The argument is Bimadir. The argument is you made a nether, so you introduced a new problem, but this introduction took place many years, a long time after you contractually uh, bound yourself to take care of her and to set her free. The same argument like Abayi says, I don't care if the wife of coin, even though she's going to be set free, not to me personally, doesn't matter, but there's another very involved. And the Bain age of the wife of Esau. Rabelezer says, you look at it at the time contractually when you bound yourself, what happened then? And, um, and therefore, at that time, you were able to take her back. So therefore, she, there wasn't an issue involved. So you're bound by it. And if Yeshua says, also, boss of the look at it today, we should take captivity. Can you set it free? You can't. Then, uh, uh, what do you call it? In, in, in today, are there any other issue involved? If there's another issue involved, because you made a nether, then you don't have to set her free. Okay, then it says, Nishba is, if she was taking captivity, you have to set her free. We learned what happens if Nishbe's Bechayibailo, she was taken captivity while the husband was alive. And the question will be whether the orphans, then, then he died, but Achakach Mace, Bailo, then her husband died. And the question is is this a, an obligation that falls on the estate that they have to pay her, her ransom or not? Is he this price of hope? If the husband, while he was alive, knew already that she was in captivity, so he already had an obligation to set her free, because once he knew he had an obligation, then you should because this is more, this whole thing is only an institution of the rabbis that, you know, responsibilities and obligations between the, 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 between the couple. So if he knew about it, so he had the obligation. Then um, the, 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 the ears have to set it free because there's already a lien on the state. But like he could provide it. He had no idea while he was alive that you think captivity. Then in Yoshi so then there's no lien on the state, and the, 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 the Yoshi have no obligation to set it free. So the Gemara. Um, so Levi had an incident similar to this, and he thought he'll follow the Brisa. This is what my uncle, my beloved uncle, which is Abchia, said to me. The halacha does not follow the b'raisa we just mentioned, because there's another b'raisa that opposes it. The following b'raisa, which we learned, if she was taking captivity after the husband died, and then the question is, does the state have an obligation to set her free? The answer is no. They don't have to set her free. 
Not only that, even if she's in captivity while the husband's alive. And then the husband died. So the husband died before she was set free, and he knew about it. The same didn't have to set free. Why not? Because it says in the in the contract, I will take you back as a wife. And since over here you cannot take back as a wife because the husband died. So therefore, there's no obligation. Yeah, there's no obligation. So the Gemara, Tana Bon, we learned. Okay, so therefore, you don't have to because you said take it back as a wife, and here you don't have to take it back as a wife. Says the Gemara, but you can't take it back as a wife, the husband is dead. Says the Gemara, and even though, let's say, there was no children, so a brother would take her, that's not called taking back as a wife. So therefore, um, it's because she's called a Yavama, not taking back as a wife, and that, and that does not include it. Um, um, and now the question is, okay, so what about a coin? What about a coin who doesn't say, I will take you back as a wife? He just says, I'll set you free. Does the coin have an obligation? If the coin died, do the children have an obligation? You said the only reason why the children don't have an obligation is because you, know, you cannot fulfill the, 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 the part of the contract which says, I'll take you back as a wife. But what about a coin? It doesn't say, I'll take you back as a wife, so I'll set you free. Because we follow Robert, that basically says that if he saw, cannot take it back, because there's other reasons, then coin doesn't take it back either. So says the men in China. Tell me what we learned. Niche base. What happens? She was taken captivity. The question is, is there a limit? Is there an excess amount that we say, if they ask for a ransom, a crazy amount of money, that you don't pay it? And um, well, we learned. Nijbe, what happens you're taking captivity? We'll have more about this in Gitten. They were asking, they were asking a multiple of 10 times what her value would be in the slave market. An, ex an excessive amount. Because they know that you love your wife and you want her back. And they know you'll pay any amount. So therefore, they, they, they're charging an excessive amount. Palmer Yishoyna, it says here, um, this, is the, this is a case that we have today, you know, where people can, can are kidnapped for, for ransom or taken to captivity. How much should you be prepared to pay? So Palmer Yishoyna, so according to the first opinion, the very first time that this happened, that this group have taken someone to captivity, Poyda, you're redeemed. I mean, the convent is actually told me the first time this wife was taken to captivity, you pay it. If it happens a second time, Rashi says that you don't have to take, a, um, you don't have to pay her out at all because all you have in the contract is to, 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 to free her, release her once, not a second time. Taisa totally disagrees. And says, of course, you have to continue to release her, but you don't have to pay in excess of a value only the first time. The second or third time, if it's her value, then you pay it. Otherwise, you don't pay it. Even though we married a little before that, it's not that often that women are taken in captivity, but it still actually happens often enough that we can talk about it. And uh, Teisa says a very interesting thing here. Um, Teisa says here that, um, that burial is far more common than taking captivity. And he says here, this Teisa based on the very bottom Teisa's Rotsa, because in those days, women died before men. We know today, statistically, women outlive men. But Jesus says, we shall Women used to die before men. Another Jesus says later on, because, uh, because of childbirth, many women died. So the average of the women's age came down as a result of that. Anyway, Shimon Megalula says 
You never pay excess of what their value is. And that, why not? Because otherwise you're emboldening these, these uh, captors to continue doing it because they know they can make they can make a fortune out of this. So therefore you don't, um, you don't, in fact, you don't deal with terrorists, you don't deal with captors, you only pay the true value and that's it, no more than that. Because a tikkun oilam, interesting we use the word tikkun oilam and it means something totally different. Um, <clears throat> so Mara says, it seems to me, however, let's say they're only asking for true value, you continue re redeeming, um, even though the Purkonda if let's say her true value is four hundred dollars, that's what they're asking, you have to pay it out. But the ksuva is only two hundred dollars. So it comes out to me that even though that her release is worth more than the entire ksuva, you still have to pay whatever that value is. That's what it seems to me. Whatever her value is. So I'll ask a question of that. But I mean, because there is a cap. But I mean, as a question, we learned, if they were asking 10 times the value of a ksuba. In the previous Bryce said, we're talking about her value. Now we're talking about the value of the ksuba. So the Tanakama says, the first time, even if it's 10 times the value of the ksuba, the first time you redeem her, now I need to have a choice. You do redeem or you don't redeem her. It actually says you don't have to redeem her anymore at all. And... Uh, and Tosef shot here is a is a bit hard to understand. He says here um, it's talking about the value that you don't pay uh, you pay a true value, but a true value is more than the ksuba. So what's he saying different the first time and the first and, and other times? But Shimon says, "Im you only pay up to the value of the ksuba." So in the first price, he says, only pay up to her value. In the second price, he says, pay only up to the value of the ksuba, which sounds like that if the value of the ksuba is a lot less than her value, you don't pay her value, you pay the value of the ksuba. So I'm going to answer, you're right. He's leaning in both ways. You never pay more than her value, and you never pay more than the value of the ksuba. So whichever is the lesser of the two amounts, that's the amount that you're obligated to pay. But on the other hand, he's machmer, and he says, you pay it every single time. If you're taking captivity five times, you do that as well. Says about it further. Lux, so let's say she became sick. Doesn't it say clearly, even if it's more than the value in the first case? Yeah, the first case, according to Tanakama, even even more than ten times her value, you have to pay the first time. But that's it, only once. In the third line, Yeah. So then, Rimura is making an inference from the first price. It seems. That of Shimon Lil, all this is not the words of Shimon Lil, these are what we think. Now, Shimon Lil says that, that you never pay more than the value of the person. He doesn't put a cap on the, on the it doesn't vis a vis the, the ksuba, he talks about the person. So we're inferring from that. So, what about if the value, let's say her value is double the value of the ksuba, you have to pay it out. But the next Bryce says that we look at the at, at the at the at the at her value compared to the ksuba, and we never pay more than the value of the ksuba, which is $200. So we're asking a question, how can it be? The first price seems to, to ignore the ksuba, only looks at her value, regardless of, of what it is compared to the ksuba. And the second price only looks at the value of the ksuba. So we're saying they're both right. Whichever amount is less, that's the maximum you pay. According to, uh, according to Shim Gamlil. Okay, now we're talking about medicine. One of the obligations of the husband is that if the loxa, if she gets, they get afflicted, Lakshah usually is a stronger word than just chayla. Lakshah was like really afflicted. Then you're uh, 
Yechayev to heal it. Tonabon, we learned. Almona Nizainis Menichsa Yesaimim, an Almona widow. The husband died. Part of the, 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 the obligations of the Yesaimah to take care of the widow until, um, until she leaves the house. Until she leaves the house. So Almona Nizainis Menichsa Yesaimim, Almona continues to um, get fed, provided for. From the state of the the ears, let's say she needs medicine and then doctor bills. We treat doctor bills just like food. What do we mean we treat doctor bills just like food? Just like food that you have to take care of her. So to her doctor bills. Why? Because they both need to live. You both need to sustain. Rav Shimon Megamil says it depends. There's two kinds of doctor bills. There's a doctor bill which has a fixed amount. And there's a doctor bill which does not have a fixed amount. A doctor bill which has a fixed amount, every second week she has to go to the doctor, for whatever reason it is, and we know exactly what it costs. Anything that has a fixed amount, she has to pay it herself from her own silver. Because food has no, there's no fixed amount in food. We don't know what food is going to cost every day you change the menu. But so therefore, those doctor bills which are similar to food that don't have a, don't have a cap, don't have a fixed amount, you, the state has to pay for it. Those doctor bills that have a fixed amount, then they, she has to pay for it herself. So, now Shimula says, Rafur, she yeshla kitzvah, or Rafur that has a fixed amount, needs to up a mix of us, any help, any uh, healing, or any curing she, she wants to do, she has to pay it out herself from her own suva. You deduct it from whatever you owe her in her suva. If it has no fixed amount, it's like food, you have to continuously support her. Amr Abiyechem said in Israel they used to, as we see in the Gemara, they talk about so often, they used to do a let the blood, they used to do it constantly. For whatever reason, in order to circulate the blood, they used to constantly do hakazas adam. That's why we have all those rules that you have to take care of yourself. So, therefore, because it has no fixed amount, it's like food, and the husband's estate has to pay for it. But in Babel, you do it once a year, so you know exactly what the cost is once a year you do it, therefore, it doesn't count. Says the Gemara, the relatives of Rabbi Echelen have Lukitas Abba, their father's wife. The father died, and their father's wife, the Havit Sikhadafua, Kol Yem. She was every day she needed something. She was a very sick woman, and there was no fixed cost. Constantly new things were happening, or constantly had to be looked up by a doctor, and it was really bleeding their estate. So they went to their cousin, Rabbi Echelen, and asked for advice. Because you just said a fool that has no cap, you have to continuously pay. So their their estate is dwindling very quickly. So they want to know do uh, what should they do? Also, the Kalyuch again, Rabbi Yechiel, advice. Amalui told them my advice very simple: turn it into a fixed amount. Since she sees a doctor every second day, she's always complaining about something else. Go to the doctor, say, look, let's fix a contract over here. You're going to see our mother probably every day, every second day, every our father's wife every third day. Give us a fixed amount and like a service, a maintenance fee. Give us a maintenance, a contract, and therefore it's a fixed amount. And if it's a fixed amount, then you turn to her and say, look, it's a fixed amount. Doesn't matter how exorbitant it is, we're going to deduct it from your ksuva. So you go, go ahead and, and, and fix it and make a contract, fix an amount, and you'll go to the doctor and you'll take it off. Omar then said, I think I made a mistake here. What I did here was I, I, I acted like a, like a lawyer. I acted like a lawyer. Uh, where I enjoy, where I there's two people here, right? There's two people involved in this case between this woman and the family. And I took the family side because they're my relatives and I gave them advice on how to circumvent the law. I don't think I did the right thing. 
says the Gemara, my sabr, me karma sabr, my karma. Why did he help in the beginning and why did he regret it? Gemara said, me karma sabr. First he thought, me psar chalai tisalam. There's a famous pasuk in Yeshai that says, never forget your own family. Sometimes you're so involved in communal services and sometimes you're so involved with others, you forget about your own family. Your family should always come first. And if they need tzedak and all that, your family always comes first. So therefore, he thought, I have to help out my family. Well, the safe then he thought, I do have to help my family, but I'm an odd of chashev, and I'm a chashev person. Everybody watches what I do. Shiny, I have to be very careful because people will learn from here and, and, and misbehave and try to do all kinds of ruses and tricks to get out of things I shouldn't have done. Okay, so you further, in a ksuba, a person has a couple of wives. So in a ksuba, we learned already, we mentioned before already, there's a, there's a ksuba called a ksuba benin dakrin. And this is also a din of the best. Of a woman gets married, goes gets into a marriage, we want um, that um, if, if let's say, she died before her husband, she doesn't collect ksuvah. But her children, before they divide the state, her ksuvah, whatever belongs to, whatever promises the husband made to this woman, the ksuvah should first pass on to her children before, and, and should not be considered part of the estate. And so to the other wives, the same thing. It's called the ksuvah's benin dakrin. And this will work as long as there's some money left over in the kitty that afterwards they can divide as an estate. So you can still do Yerusha the Tater. If you did not incorporate this ksuvah's benin dakrin, the ksuvah doesn't matter. Like kasala benin dakrin, the yevli chimenoid that he said, you know, there's benin dakrin that, have, that children that we'll have together in our marriage. In and yartin kesek ksuvah, they should inherit the money of your ksuvah. Yes, al chalkein, more the imachein, apart from the state that they're going to share with all the other half brothers. Chayiv, nevertheless, Chayiv should try best. This is they did the best and foist upon everybody, so it doesn't matter. The same thing is Benanukvin. When it comes to girls, they would say that um, that she would want that that her girls also should be taken care of and they should have a dowry and so on and so forth when they get married. So Benanukvin, the Yavlechimanoi, Yasser Basi. It is that we wanted the girls should sit in the house and be provided for, and there's not enough money the boys go out and collect. We need to take care of them until they become either 12 and a half years old or until they get married. Chayiv, you are still obligated to that, whether you included that or you didn't include that. Um, it's a Tanai Bezin. And why then the Ksubis and so on is important is because, especially Benin Dakin, is because one woman might have 10 children, one woman might have two children. So the woman and the two children, obviously, they'll get a much larger share. Because their ksuvah the ksuvah probably be identical, but only divide amongst two, while the other one has to divide amongst ten, rather than sharing it in a pool of twelve kids. Um, okay, what about the woman herself? If you outlive, if the woman outlives the husband, and he said, "At you continue to live in my house, and you can continue being provided for from my estate. As long as you are a widow, the base in my house, we didn't write that the children are still obligated to take care of her tonight, Bezin. And that's how they used to do it in the cafe, and basically the way they wrote it here is. It's up to her. As long as she, it's up to her whether she said, look, I'm leaving, give me my exuvia, I want to leave. I want to get married, I want to be free. But if she doesn't ever make that claim, she can remain there forever. Or we'll see later, a certain amount of years. Anche Yehuda, however, they made it up to the children. Anche Yehuda, the problem with giving exuvia straight away is it's a lump sum, it's a large amount of money. Because there's all these additional things that the husband promised. So therefore, when it's up to the children. If they make enough money, they can say to the woman, to the father's wife, here, take your take your ksuba, and we're no longer obligated. It's up to the children. So the Yishalayim, they said it's up to the woman. And in, in, in the um, and Anshi Yehuda, they said it's up to the children. And that's how they wrote it in the ksuba. It's up to them. They want to give her the ksuba, and send her away.
Why take? Did they make this If the wife died before the husband, the entire estate goes to the husband. Why did they make a special takana that no, that her part of her ksuvah should go directly to her children? Why did they do that? Remember, in the ksuvah there's a dowry. And usually the father of the of the of the Kala was very generous. But you know why the father Kala was generous? Because he knew that because if the father of Kala thought as my daughter predeceased her husband, everything I gave her goes to her husband's estate, and then it ends up with his children, which are totally not part of our family anymore, goes to a different tribe and everything else, then the husband and the father of the Kala will be very um, reticent to be too generous. But if he knows eventually end up with his own grandchildren, that of his daughter's children, and therefore his, he treats his daughter's children like his own children. Then he's happy to do that. That's why we made extremely doctrine so that what he should be more generous and give a larger dowry so his daughter can get married. A person should go join with alacrity. And he will offer for his daughter a very nice dowry. And because it's his grandchild, will end up with it. Says the Gemara, I don't understand. says the Huyashans, the sons and not the daughters. No, this the, the grandfather who has a number of sons and this daughter, and you're you're enticing him to give away a large amount of money to his daughter, which basically all you do is robbing from the sons who are supposed to inherit it. Why are we encouraging the father to take away from the sons when the Torah says that the son should yash, not the, not the daughter? But also Rabbanon Masakna the Tated Barta. Come along with Rabbanon and found a way of how that the daughter should end up with a lot of money by putting it into the ksuvah and giving it to her and putting it in, and, and as a dowry. All you're doing is robbing the son. You're robbing the Yerusha. This idea that the daughter should have the dowry and in order to encourage her to get married, in fact, and because it'll end up with her children, also comes to the Torah. Now, that's interesting. The Gemara calls it the Arisa, which always means the Torah, and we're going to bring Sukkim from Naveen. The Ksiv, it says, so there's a Masha that talks about in, in the beginning of Babakama, or Babasa, that, um, that Dvar Torah, when the Gemara says Dvar Torah, it doesn't necessarily mean the Torah, it can mean also in Naveen. Here you have the Arisa, and yet we're bringing a Pasuk from, uh, from Yemiya. Yemiya said, Khunashim, take women by little bunny butter, take women and, and have children, boys and girls. and go ahead and, and your sons, find women for your sons. Your daughters give to men. Now, you want to ask, what do you mean your daughters give to men? Sons, it's up to you because it's, you know, it's the men who look for women, so you send your sons out after girls. You're sending your girls out to find men. Girls generally were at home as a boy who went out looking for the girls. So what does it mean? How do you have control? That's And how in the world do you have control that you have you can get your daughter married? What it means is you can create a situation that people will want to marry your daughter. And how is that? By giving him a nice dowry. Um, you will dress her nicely in a chasin cover of a nasal meeting. You give her the kofti Allah that people will want, desire. will go ahead and marry her. So, therefore, that it says clearly in the Pasuka, you need to do everything you can to make sure that she ends up in a very happy marriage. And, one of the, and what can you do? What control do you have? But apart from everything else, you have no control. You are whoever you are. What you have control is that you should be generous and supportive of your daughter. And that will entice people to want to marry her. Says the Gemara, um, up to how much, uh, what percentage of your estate should you give to your daughter as a dowry, is Abaya and Robert, they both say together, up to 10% of your estate. So the Gemara says, the aim of later, the Baalai later. So therefore, the Gemara has a question, <coughs> You tell me the only reason is so that people should want to marry your daughter. 
Um, so then the only part, the ksuba is made up of many parts, right? There are a lot of moving pieces there. Part is what the husband is obligated to the wife, $100, $200, whatever it is, and then he adds some more things. And then there's a dowry that the, the father puts in. So following your logic, the only part that should end up with the grandchildren is the dowry part. We want to give an incentive for the grandfather, the father, the kala, to give money. But the other parts of the ksuba, like the husband, you know, $200, why should that end up with the children of this woman? That should be divided as part of the state. The part that the father puts in, okay, let them give it to the children of this woman. But the later, the part that the husband promises his wife should not be passed on the children. That should be part of the state. Says Imara, because in Kenya, the father of the Kala finds out that only my part ends up the children, but everything the husband gives to my daughter is going to go right back to him, that he loses he loses interest. I'm being used. The father also be reticent to be too generous because it says not fair. Why am I the only one supporting my daughter? You should also be supporting my daughter, it's your wife and her children. Okay, the aim will let us say at least, hey, the cost of oh, you're right. Okay, we don't we shouldn't break up a ksuba. But if the father gave a dowry, then it makes sense that the entire ksuba ends up with her children. But if the father didn't give a dowry, let's say it was poor or whatever, didn't give a dowry, then the ksuba should not have the children. And yet we say that that every single it's a universal rule that every single ksuba ends up in the with her children. Why should that be the case? The aim will let us say, hey, the cost of all in the case where the father wrote a diary, fine. But the father didn't. Then he shouldn't. Then the father should write either. Like plugrabbanon, we don't want to make any distinctions between one another, and every ksuba is the same because most of the ksubas have a dowry in them. So if so, let's say, let's say there's a daughter among the sons. Uh, what about let's say this woman only had a daughter? And uh, one woman, let's say this man was married to two women. One woman had a daughter and the other one had only sons. So that it ends up with her sons. It doesn't say it ends up with her daughter. What happens if she only had daughters? It doesn't end up, then it gets back into the state. Why? According to your logic, the father of the Kala, he wants to be generous. He wants to make sure that no matter, regardless of what kind of children my daughter has, it all ends up with her children. But if you're telling me that, that, that if only if he had sons, if he had no sons, only a daughter, we don't have a Ksubas Benin in the cave. It's only a doctrine, or, or not, it's only doctrine. So then the father will be reticent to the Gemara. If so, let's say this woman only had a daughter and the other women had sons, not mutated. You should also have a Ksubas that her mother's estate should end up with her, that he's the Ksubas part of it. All the Rabban are able to do is when they come up with a new enactment is to compare it to something else. They cannot create, they don't come and create brand new laws that have no basis. So they, what they said was, we're going to treat this like a Yerusha, like an extra Yerusha. So we have to follow the laws of Yerusha. And that is that it ends up with the son. From the father, it ends up with the sons and not the daughter. It does sons there. The Rabban treated it like a Yerusha. So fine. What happens if they only had girls? This marriage married to four women and they only had girls. The law is that if there's no ksuvah, but in doctrine, if they're only girls, and then we just divide among the state. In this case, if we say treat like Yerusha, the rule, the rule of Yerusha are there's no boys that ends up with the girls. So then we should go back and say, well, this woman's ksuvah, first of all, should go to her daughter. And then afterwards, whatever's left over, we divide in the state. And yet we only say ksuvah's benin doctrine, only the boys. So you want to ban us, take letter Yashin. We don't make a difference. So you might have a tigbim metalkle, 
We know when it comes to Ksuba, Ksuba can only collect from Kartra. It was only many years later that Goenya made a special Takana that she can collect Ksuba from a Talton. But technically, Ksuba can only be from Kartra. And Ksuba Benindakin is also only from Kartra. So the question is, uh, since it's treated like Yerusha, Yerusha, we learned before, it makes a difference whether it's property, whether it's more, uh, portable items. No. So the Gemara, Ksuvasa, Shavir, Babaji, like Ksuba. And because it's like part of the ksuba, which is like a ksuba, which is only from karka. Sigmar says, Titra If it's like a ksuba, we can learn later on that she married, and then later on the father, the husband sold property. She has a right to go to those properties. She can go to Lukhas and Mishabadim because there's an encumbrance, there's a lien on all those properties. So Lukhaida, when it comes to Tsumidakin, also she made to collect from because it's like you tell me it's like a ksuba. Sigmar says, It's like a yirusha. So it's both like a ksuba and like a yirusha. And therefore, we only do things which are sort of not, not mutually exclusive. Uh, only when they overlap. Ema, let us say, So why is the rule that the only time we do Ksuvidakin is if there's some money left over in the kitty to have a normal Yerusha? Since you're telling me it's like a Yerusha in a way, like Ksuvah, like Yerusha, then what, let's say that there's nothing left in the state after you give to each family their mother Ksuvah. Who cares? So we should say even there's no extra money left over. Where you completely undermining the Yerusha where the Torah talks about and advocates so much, if there's no money left over, that means you're not going to make to do a proper Yerusha, then we're not going to make this an enactment of the Rabbana. So it's very clear, it's an enactment of the Rabbana, and yet we called it the Eurais. There's a hint of it in the Torah. So we're going to finish with the story. Papa was very involved with his son, Abba Saroy. Interesting. We already had this before as well. Papa was married to the daughter of Abba Saroy, and their son was going to marry his wife's sister. So Papa's son was becoming his brother-in-law. So Papa was involved with the son of Abba, with his son in the family of Abba Saroy. He was marrying, his son was marrying his sister-in-law, the daughter of Abba Saroy. And he wanted to make sure that Abba Saroy gives a nice dowry for his son. Who's going to marry his sister-in-law? He went to write Exuva. Shama Yehuda Bamarema, there's a big rabbi in town called Duma Marema, and he heard a pup was coming to town. Nothing, he went out to greet him. Also, Ischazle went out to greet him. He met him. When he came to the house of, the, of Abba Saroy, and a pup was going there to get a dowry and work out the Exuva. So uh, Yehuda Bamarema, after he greeted this rabbi, a pup, he wanted to go back home to his place. He said to Rapapa, Papa said to him, please come into the house with me. Come, come escort me into the house of my father-in-law. He saw that Yehuda, that, um, that Yehuda didn't really want to go into the house. He didn't want to join him. What are you worried about? You don't want to go to the house, but why not? You're worried that Shmuel once said to Yehuda, Shinna, you clever one. No, it's do not be a witness to somebody who steals the Yerusha from his children. The guy has three sons and two of them are Tamid and one of them is a, is a, is a shlak. And he, he decides to, to, to um, I guess, to, to take him out of the will, the one who's no good, and to take the Yerusha and give it to the other two sons. So Shmuel said, do not be a witness party to that because you have no right to, when it comes to Yerusha, it has to be distributed equally. You have no right to take away, even from children that are bad, you have no right to take away their, their children. Why not? What's the logic in that? These are good kids and this is not a good kid. You never know his children. You have many times where the children of somebody who's not, not so good turns out to be far better than the father. 
so therefore you have no right to uh, excise the person from the will and you shouldn't be party to it so therefore you don't want to be here because whatever we're giving dowry to uh, to my son is basically stealing from the Yerusha of her of, of his of the of Abbasarai's sons of my brother-in-law and you don't want to be party to that the host came lebra surely you shouldn't be a witness taking away from the boys to give it to the girl so that's why you don't want to come in here you don't want to see what's going on even though we're just learning more before that his aremas and gimio that you should actually you know give a large dowry even though it's 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 impacting on the yerusha to the other sons so he said this is also a takana of the rabbanon that we should uh, um, call, um give a dowry to the girl other people's version is hainami that i see the Gemara clearly before said the rice. This is the first time the Gemara openly said, uh, the first time, second time, the counter abundant. You also use that to explain why you have to have a dollar left over. Anyway, the reason we said before from that passage that you have control over your daughter, make her make her uh, desirable. On Malay, so said back, that's talking about where the father-in-law is more than happy, graciously wants to give money. I don't want to be in a situation where we're forcing the father-in-law, you're shaming him to give him more money. That's that's causing, that's not right. Because then we're stealing from the boys and he didn't really want to do it. And we're just, because he's embarrassed for us, he's doing it. On Malay, so Papa said to him, what do you mean embarrassing? What do you mean forcing? Ultimately, come in along the oil that I see. Did I tell you, come in here and force my father-in-law to give more money to my son, the son's color, the dowry? Oil the light town seeker. I said, come in and just be sit there. Be a witness. Not that you should in any way say a word. Don't coerce him nothing. The fact that I'm walking in, I know I see it. Because I'm such a big rabbi. If I walk in there, it's, it's as if we're forcing the hands of Abba Sarai. When he sees me there, he's going to feel compelled to give far more than he wanted to give. And, and, and that's called forcing. And I don't feel comfortable because you're, you're taking away the Yerusha from the sons and you're forcing the person. Anyway, that Papa forced him to enter inside. Now, it doesn't mean forced him. He convinced him, cajoled him. And that's how Tyson knows before when it comes to his doctor and says that Rabba forced him. It doesn't mean physically he forced him. It means he cajoled him, like we see right here. He sort of convinced him, come in with me anyway, escort me into the house. Ishtik. He didn't say anything. He just sat there. Didn't say a word. And while they were negotiating, the the, the, the not a Papa for his son. So then what happened was that Abba Sarai thought, So when um, Abba Sarai made an offer of the dowry, Yudhavim Rebbe sat there, glum, didn't want to say a word, didn't want to say anything. Abba Sarai saw that Yudhavim was silent, he thought, ah, he's not saying that he's happy with it. That means that the, the rabbi here, Yudhavim Rebbe, is very unhappy with what I'm doing. He wants to see more money from me. He's Ahu uh, um, He must be angry with me. I'm giving so little in his eyes. So you know what I was sorry did? He took all his entire estate, all his bank accounts, and he offered it to his daughter, um, to the to, um, to, 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 to papa's son. That's what he did. The safe umbele, and he hoped you would said, ah, that's nice. You would have sat there and say a word. The safe umbele You're not saying anything now either. He said, I swear to you, what else do you want me to do? He's, he's interpreting that human ever silence is because he's not happy with what Abba Surah is offering. So Abba Surah, what else do you want me to do? I gave him everything I have, the shirt off my back. I have nothing left to give. Omalay. So human ever finally opened his mouth and he says, if you're asking my opinion, I feel a high number of customers. Even the first time, the first amount you offered was too much because you're taking away from your other sons. I wouldn't have given so much in the first place. In other words, the whole thing was based on an error and misinterpretation. Omalay, so Abba Surah said, Hashtanami, I had to be. So, I take it all back. 
I, the reason why I'm offering more and more and more is because I thought you're unhappy, but now I see that I don't do it. In fact, you're, you're unhappy the first amount that I gave you, thought I gave too much. So you're only silent because you don't want to get involved. So they said, one second. All I, I never, I never said that you should regret what you did. All I'm saying is, in the first place, I never given as much as you did. And yeah, so that's the story we see here. How that what the idea is that you're not really stealing from the other son, but Yudma was uncomfortable. He thought if you're too generous, you're taking away from the Yerusha of your other sons. That was like these days we'll learn to talk about more in Yeshnoichlin. That to these days, how they get around uh, Yerusha that they give to the daughters equal to the sons, uh, ways of doing it, or ways of doing a, a will today, that the girls can get an equal amount to the boys as well. Okay, have a good day tomorrow. Mitchell will have two blasts and we'll do quick.